0: Welcome to the l Low Carb Ancestral Living Podcast. I'm your host, Pim Johnson, and each week I'm bringing you new guests who will share their opinions and expertise on different topics related to health and well-being. Enjoy! Hi, and welcome to l Low Carb Ancestral Living with Pim Johnson. Today's guest is someone who is very passionate about diet and how different diets affect the quality of life and the symptoms that autistic people have. And he is also the founder of uh, Autistic Carnivals on Facebook, and he has his own YouTube channel that is called Meet Mosaic. If you want to check that out, you can go and do so later. I'll put the links in the description to this show. So welcome to the show, Tom.
1: Well, thanks for having me, Pim.
0: You're welcome. Um, I, I think this is going to be very, very interesting. So just jumping straight in, if you don't mind, can you just start telling us a little bit about how it was for you growing up with autism and at what point you were diagnosed because I actually don't know that.
1: <laughs> yeah. So I wasn't diagnosed till my late thirties and, uh, I had been diagnosed with learning disabilities and stuff like that, but it wasn't until my late thirties, uh, that I was diagnosed and, uh, it was just sort of a, a surprise to me because I met somebody and they were like, Oh yeah, you're definitely on the spectrum and you're just like somebody else I know. And I thought they were crazy, but then I asked my healthcare provider and I went through the process, you know, so there was a screening and then there was interviews and stuff like that. And, um, since I already had been diagnosed with, uh, well, I'd been recently diagnosed with, with uh, generalized anxiety and, uh, I'd, Previously, since it was child diagnosed with learning disabilities. And then you find out that all those things usually come as a package. You know, there's a number of different sort of disorders that are often accommodate or often come as, a, um, you know, sort of a smorgasbord of, of symptoms that might be packaged together when you when you have an autistic diagnosis.
0: Yeah. So when you were diagnosed, did they ever mention anything about any type of, you know, lifestyle changes or dietary changes that would make life easy for you?
1: No, you know, and with all, with you know, I'm sure it's global, but, you know, here in the United States, there's a lot of media about autism and stuff. And then you find out as an adult that there's not a lot of attention to uh autistic adults at all. It's mostly focused around children and the families that, you know, take care of them. So, um, that was, was the first thing I do is go out and meet more people like myself, high functioning adult autistics. And of course that's a pretty broad range in itself. Right. So, yeah, <laughs> but, uh, you know, cause at first you kind of doubt the diagnosis. People I know died uh, doubted the diagnosis and, um, You know, I've got a friend who did a video recently, and she was talking about how, like, you feel like an imposter because it's so. You feel like you have to prove it to yourself. You know, it doesn't matter how many experts tell you, (laughs) you, you've got to, you've got to prove it to yourself. So, yeah, I kind of went through that for quite a long time, and then realized that there's a lot of other people like me. We, you know, autism wasn't as frequently diagnosed. Even my learning disabilities, when I was first diagnosed, they had different names from different people because the sort of criteria and the school of thought or the schools that, that the specialists came from, you know, handled the diagnosis differently and gave it different labels. And then, you know, eventually sometimes they're like, well, you're dyslexic and you have dysgraphia and, and those kind of terms that, that we, we were all familiar with. But previous to that, there were other sort of obscure labels that they don't use anymore. And so I think I realized that there weren't as many people looking for, um, autistic, uh, children if they weren't obviously autistic, right? So, so there is a lot of people like myself that get, a, get diagnosed as adults. And like I said, there's not a lot of services. I mean, there is, you know, um, you know, a lot of people are disabled by it. So, you know, there's, there's sort of a disability system, but there's not really, uh, there's not really much more than that for most people, so nobody said anything about diet. <laughs> nobody said anything about any, anything. They're like, "Here's some medication. This ought to help with the anxiety." You're doing pretty good. Uh, we're proud of you. You know, I don't. We, there's not much else we could do for you. That's that. That was essentially it. So,
0: so I'm just thinking if we can think back for when you were a child, and you got all these, you know, labels. Do you think that that has actually affected you growing up into almost becoming one of those labels?
1: Um, you, you know, even when I was going from high school to college, you know, it was somebody, uh, uh, somebody who worked in a school for disabled children who's a friend of friends said, I was kind of leery about even taking advantage of, trying to take advantage of any services in college. And they're like, you know, because I, I see I, I go to this uh, learning disabled center and I see people in wheelchairs and on crutches and you know all kinds of extreme sort of um, disabilities, obvious disabilities, and I'm like, well, you know I you know they they obviously have greater challenges than I do, and they're like, no no this is for you too, but of course when I went to college these programs weren't funded, so I wound up with basically no help at all they're like well we just don't have any any budget for you know note takers or transcribers or or any of that stuff and that was before i even knew knew I, i was you know had any idea i was autistic you know so so you know, I I don't think the label really affected me in that way. It wasn't like they gave me a label and I fulfilled the role per se because I didn't really know well, what is the role of an of a of a learning disabled person, you know. And then uh, you know, when I got got diagnosed with autism as an adult, I was already who I was. And really, what it did was it explained, especially as I got to know other adult autistics and learn more about. Autism, it really explained a lot of the things in the past that that really puzzled me, right? So that's really what it did. And it actually kind of put me at ease with a lot of things, because especially social situations where it's like, you know, people are behaving a certain way and it makes no sense to me, right? And, it, you know, there was a lot of, I had a tremendous amount of social anxiety before that. Well, and, you know, it took a while to adjust and realize, like, you know, people just don't, Perceive the situation the way you do, and you don't understand necessarily the rules of engagement. You know how the conversation flows, and you know who's talking about what, and and, and all that, and how people behave. So, and the when I when I when I got the diagnosis, and it was like, well, okay, so now I know that they perceive something I don't, and they're ignoring something that I'm focused on. In in a nutshell, right? So. Um, you know, so then it was like, okay, I can just, I can just live with that. Or at least I know what's going on, you know, so it's kind of eliminated a lot of confusion for me.
0: Yeah. Well, that must've been a relief in some ways.
1: Oh, for sure. Yeah.
0: So at what point did you start looking into food or was it just an accident? How, how how did you (laughs) even start
1: yeah, so change, change of my diet really had nothing to do with it. I didn't expect it to affect the, say, autistic symptoms at all. Um, so I, I just happened to be talking to a friend. He's a little bit younger, but similar in age. We were probably, let's see, this was four, uh, five, five years ago, I'd say. Um, I, I was talking to my, my good close friend, Aaron, and he said, yeah, I was talking to a buddy, a guy I know, and he, I saw him, and he was just, He's just, you know, physically really fit and lean and everything. And I asked him, I said, I said, you know, what's, what's it all about? You know, it's like, and he's like, Oh, it's, it's really about controlling insulin. It's really about, you know, uh, you know, not eating too many carbs. And we didn't, neither one of us knew anything about that, but the, but we started looking into it and we started reading books. And I think we started with Gary Taubes is why we get fat. That was like the first, our first foray into the, Low carb world and my buddy Aaron kind of, we both got on the keto train and he stayed there. And, uh, I, I was hardcore. I mean, I built spreadsheets and I was doing glucose and ketone tests all the time. And I was logging food and I was doing experiments like, well, what happens if you eat a whole pound of spinach, you know, or whatever. And then. It's kind of weird because you talk to you know friends and family and they they kind of didn't know what keto was and you know and I was saying yeah but I, you know I mean a high fat diet and this and that and I feel great and I had really bad arthritis at the time I'd been a gym rat for a number of years and I loved going to the gym and lifting I was doing cardio all the time and I was still getting heavier and heavier I was getting fatter and fatter and not putting on muscle and I was. You know, like my late 20s and early 30s, and and the pain was so bad. It's like my sort of quintessential story was like I would eat an apple on the way to work in the car, driving a lot of traffic, sometimes a banana, and I noticed when I got out of the car, when I got to work, that I was in far more pain after I ate that food. And I was, and I, you know, I grew up with that moniker that an apple a day keeps the doctor away. You know, I thought I was doing something good for myself. Right, and I was like, "Could it? Could this apple be causing all this joint pain?" And then of course, you go know, on keto, you're cutting out carbs, right? So I'm nearly debilitating arthritis started to improve within the first week. I noticed like, holy cow! I had terrible sciatica. I had about the time when I would drag one foot behind me for almost a month because I couldn't walk on both feet because the sciatica was so bad. I couldn't roll over in bed. I could barely get out of bed, you know, and I'd wake up in the morning and my, my, my fist would be clenched, you know, and it would hurt to straighten out my hands. And I was worried about being, not being able to work, you know, and I basically have a desk job. So I was like, I, I don't even know if I'm going to be able to keep working a keyboard. So, so that's how it started. So the, the the sort of improving and alleviating of the autistic symptoms came as a surprise down the road, and the arthritis went away.
0: So, did you just go lower and lower carb, or did you do some research and found carnivore?
1: The silliest thing happened when I, I was having the conversations with like my cousins and stuff randomly. And I was like, yeah, I'm eating this high fat diet and, you know, I'm not eating any sugar or grains or starches or anything. And, and I said, yeah, you know, like I'll have some bacon or whatever. And, and on two separate sides of the family. So one side is all pure blood Norwegian. The other side's a little more mixed, but still typically Scandinavian and. There uh, one cousin said, Oh, do you remember Great Aunt So She ate a a half a package of bacon every day. She lived to be a hundred and whatever. I was like, No, I didn't know that. And then on the other side of the the other side of the family, I heard the same thing. I was like, so two different branches of the family. There was these people, this generation that ate bacon, which is, you know, a processed meat, you know, supposed to be horrible for you, right? And, uh, so it's like one morning I got up and I cooked a whole package of bacon. I'm not, a am not a small guy. So eating a pound, you know, a whole pound of bacon, that's almost half a kilo, right? Is, is not, is not really, uh, that much of a challenge for me. So anyways, uh, I, I felt amazing, you know, I was like, man, this is great. And then little by little, I started, I felt great all day. I was like. It's, this is amazing. And then I was like, what if all the, the spinach and cauliflower and stuff that I'm eating, you know, I'd, I'd try and make bread out of flaxseed or, you know, coconut flour or whatever, you know, and, I was, and it was all right, I guess, but I, I didn't really like it. And I, it seemed like a hassle. And I noticed that when I violated that that all-important rule of not eating too much protein, I felt way better. And I noticed I felt better on the animal fat than, say, the co- the coconut oil or the other the other fats, the plant oils, the seed oils. The, you know, so I was gravitating that direction, and I felt like uh, I was like I, there was no, I didn't know anybody approved of that at the time. So then I started looking, right? And I remember like finding World Carnivore Tribe on. Facebook and there was like 5,000 people in there or something. It blew my mind, you know. It's like 50,000 now. But I was like and then and then Sean Baker was on Joe Rogan. And then my my head literally exploded. So I was like, "Holy crap, there is a doctor. He's, he's talking about just eating meat." And then and by then I had discovered, you know, zero carb Zen and um lots of the other sort of legendary um carnivore groups you know like uh uh i can't remember the name but the one that charles washington started and stuff like that and i started meeting people and i met i actually uh, met sean baker he was doing a he it used to be a, i don't think he competes in indoor rowing anymore but he was an indoor rowing champ for a while and they had a competition nearby and i'd been communicating with him so i went and uh, i met him and that that was sort of the launching point it was like From then on, um, I I started just eating meat, and then I was like, maybe this is in my head, right? Maybe I just wanted to eat meat, and it's sort of a placebo effect. So I tried to go back to keto. I was like, I'll give keto another month, and I made it like maybe a week because I still had of frozen cauliflower in the the fridge, you know, all that stuff. And and I, I was like, no, I don't feel as good. I knew right away, like... Uh, that uh, just eating meat, you know, clearly was making me, uh, it was, it was, there was a lot of cognitive, um, sort of enhancement, my anxiety that it, I didn't, I was just, uh, I hadn't really known I had an anxiety disorder for a really long, until the same time I, about the same time I got diagnosed with autism. But I, once I was kind of working on that and I was noticing it was getting better and better. It's like, as a slow taper, the arthritis was gone really fast, but the anxiety was tapering off, you know, and I could, I could tell it's like, wow, this is, this is like what is getting closer to feeling like what people are supposed to feel like, I think, you know, and it, it was clearly a, the more meat I ate, the better I felt.
0: Wow. Does it have to do with the meat or oh, sorry, the, the, um, the amount of meat that you're eating or is it the fat? What do you think it is that it's making the difference, or it's just cutting out vegetables.
1: <laughs> yeah, I, 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 I'm on a, I'm an earnest believer that that there are enough sort of anti-nutrients slash pesticides in, in plants, and that that they, you know, they're binding up nutrients and causing causing you know bowel irritation and stuff like that. Fiber in general, I think. Uh, I think people don't have the capacity for fiber that we've been led to believe, you know, and I, I think that's individual. I think, you know, certain people tolerate different amounts of different things, but I think I had had essentially had a deficiency of animal fat and, um, a deficiency in protein, you know? So, uh, People, you know, and I do I do a fair bit, bit of coaching and stuff, particularly with autistic people, and I think in the beginning people tend to do better on high fat. But as we adapt, I think we get a little more efficient. And somebody like myself, like, I go back to weightlifting after being out of it for quite some time, like eight years. I gave it up for because of the arthritis. And I lift more now. I'm going to be 52 in less than a month. And I can lift way more now than I could when I was in my twenties and thir- early thirties. I mean, a lot more. Like I can squat like six hundred pounds, which is, you know, I know, I know it's. Uh, I, there's a lot of metric people out there. We're 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 behind the times. So that's something like, you know, two hundred and eighty kilos or something. Yeah, yeah. So I do that every week, no problem. And I, I actually have crushed discs in my back. I had terrible back pain, neck pain. Every, t- every time I did squats, I got horrible neck pain before that. And I had a full body scan. So I have like all this documentation of, uh, of all these things. I got hernias, herniated discs, you know, the whole nine yards. And I have absolutely no joint pain anymore, which, you know, going from like I, when I was in my late thirties, early forties, I felt like I was just an accumulation of injuries and allergies. And I had terrible allergies that usually led to sinus infections and then ear infections and then chest infections and on and on. And, you know, like every year I got the flu and the cold like everybody else, right? And so in the last four years that I've been carnivore, because I'm right at that point where I've been eating nothing but meat for four years, I have had one sore throat, and that was like three years ago. So I have... I don't, I don't need any, I haven't had any colds or flus. I don't take any allergy medicines anymore. My allergies are basically gone. I get a little, you know, the wind kicks up and there's some stuff in the air. I sneeze a little and it's over.
0: Do you take
1: any supplements? Um, no. The only time I take supplements is chiroprophylactic. Like if I, I don't drink a lot of coffee anymore, but I used to. And so sometimes on the weekend I drink coffee and I I'd suffer. I I'd take some B1 just in case cuz I know like things like coffee or if I if I'm celebrating and I'm drinking alcohol I'll take the B1 cuz I know that tends to lower thiamine levels you know it's kind of like I feel like I've transgressed so I better I better uh hedge my bet <laughs> so but uh, generally, no, I don't. Sometimes uh, when I do a heavy workout, I'll take like the DHEA because it seems to speed up my recovery. Because when I do like leg day or something, I'll do multiple sets of squats. Plus, I do leg press and stuff like that. So uh, I've noticed. And I like to go to the gym a lot. I'm, You know, it's like for me, it's like it's more part of my I'm very routine driven. So like and that's probably A lot of people on the spectrum will understand that, like, they don't, it's difficult for them when their routine's interrupted. So, um, it's easier for me to just try and go every day than it is to try and try and go every other day. So I do things like DHA, DHEA to speed up recovery so I can keep going
0: to the gym. (laughs) (laughs) That's awesome. So other than the, the mental health and, you know, the anxiety, the brain fog, what, was there anything else that you think that, well, that you have seen maybe in other autistic people that improves when they just go on a meat-only diet?
1: Yeah, I think they, they um, like myself, I'm actually more social than I was. I always wanted to be social, and, of course, I did, had a hard time being social. Um, and some autistic people don't want to be social I've got autistic pals that I talk to online that are happy to be hermits they they think the covid lockdown was a godsend I don't have to deal with anybody <laughs> so but i i wanted I always wanted to be social but um I, it's much easier for me to be social if you go back to my early videos on my youtube channel I never even appeared on camera because I was like oh i can't I can't be on camera. So I'd narrate slides. That's basically what I did. Slides and pictures. And somewhere in there, like the, the switch flipped, you know, and I started becoming more outgoing. I started becoming more comfortable talking to people I didn't know. Um, the, you know, being dyslexic too, all of a sudden I started noticing like I would remember phone numbers in order, which had never happened before. Like even stuff I wasn't trying to remember, like it would come up and somebody go, Oh yeah, did we call blah, blah, blah. And I'm like, Oh yeah. Hey, I remember the number, you know, and that never happened before in my life. So I'm not saying I never, dyslexia is never a problem. And I'm not, you know, dysgraphia is where you don't write well. You know, um, you know, I, I kind of, kind of replaced writing with the keyboard like most people. So, um, my, my handwriting is still fairly atrocious. I don't even, I I look at it sometimes and I can't believe that's my handwriting because it doesn't even look the same from day to day.
0: You should be a doctor then.
1: <laughs> yeah. A lot of those little things, you know, so even uh, telling one color from another, cause you know, you know, sometimes autistic people have this problem where, where certain colors trigger a sensation rather than, than it being a co- being able to identify it as a color, you know, and I notice there's less of that. So it's like uh being able to distinguish things um, better. And of course, fewer like meltdown kind of, stuff going on so
0: that's so cool so just a question so for parents that have autistic children that are used to eating a lot of carbs and processed foods what would you suggest that they do if they want to get their children on a diet that possibly will help these children to feel better in themselves how would you go about this if that was your child
1: no, number one question for sure. So there's basically two two approaches, and 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 when we say children, a lot of the people I deal with they're they have adult children, you know, uh, and they have the same issue, right? And and autistic people for some reason tend to have way more d- digestive issues. Uh, when you measure their blood levels, they tend to have way heavy, higher levels of oxalates. We don't know exactly why. So even for kids or adults. Um, there's two things. So a lot of people do this with the younger kids. It just, they just become very strict for a couple of weeks and then the kids start feeling better. And then the kid doesn't want the old food anymore. Um, that's hard to do if you're not there with a child all the time. And then of course, with an adult too, you're trying to re- reason. And a lot of autistic people have a terrible time communicating. And sometimes they're very, very, um, Uh, uh, very well developed, but they can't. They can't speak well. They can't type. They can't write. They have a hard time expressing themselves. So, for the adults, a lot of times it's like, hey, you know, you want to watch a video about it, or do you want to try a pizza instead of a pizza? Right. So substitute foods. Right. And of course, the keto carnivore world is full of substitute foods, especially the keto world, right, where you can sort of replace something. So. You know, for a lot of autistic people, texture is very important. Smell is very important. You know, even more so than, than flavor. So, you know, a lot of autistic people have tactile issues, right? Certain textures and, and sensations are, are very alarming, just like too much light, too much sound, right? So trying to find, find substitute foods that are similar uh, usually works very well because it tends to be very satisfying. And, of course, once you once you get some good fat in people, they, they tend to be satisfied in general, right? So they a lot of those uh, cravings decline.
0: Awesome. So that, that's actually something that I wanted to bring up as well. So as a cravings coach, I've heard a lot of <laughs> excuses for why people can't let go of the carbs, whether that be bread or sugar or whatever it is. Everyone has something that they don't want to let go of. But when it comes to children, especially autistic children, that, you know, they might get a meltdown if they don't get what they used to be getting. So do you have like a secret trick or something that when it comes to dealing with carb cravings that might work other than just substituting with, especially if it's sweet, because then you would have to substitute, sorry, with um, uh, artificial sweeteners and that's pretty crap.
1: Yeah, it is, but, um, once they start feeling better. So sometimes, you know, if, if the person tolerates like monk fruit or, uh, erythritol or xylitol or something, you know, that's a step in the right direction because at least it's not raising, it's letting their blood sugar come down and it's letting the insulin levels come down and it's improving insulin sensitivity. And so a lot of times I say, well, see if you can get them to eat something else first. And if you, and then say, you know, just eat this first and then, you know, you can have whatever. And if you can substitute something for sugar, you know, I I, I, I encourage people not to eat seed oil. So if you can, you know, have something that, that is palatable to them and has better quality ingredients like no sugar and no starch and no seed oils, that's a good way. And sometimes they can they can find things that the child is interested in or the adult Right, because like I said, there's a lot of adults too that you know they've been they've been sick and they're they're in their 20s, their 30s, their 40s. They're dependent on their families, and um, you know the bargaining is really the same. Try and eat this first, and then you can have some of that. But once you get some good fat in somebody, a lot of times those cravings decline, and then they're less interested in the goldfish or the candy or the juice or whatever.
0: Interesting. And what? why do you think this is? Is it the sugar and high insulin levels? Or are we just dealing with like a, a good fat deficiency? Is it brain inflammation? What's going on?
1: I think the high blood sugar, and high insulin levels leads to the uh, insulin resistance, which makes things worse. In a nutshell, right? So, you know, it has an impact on, on your brain and, and your body, all your tissues, right? So you get this, these high levels of of uh, uh, insulin, eventually you get the insulin resistance. And I think I, I kind of described it as a fuel crisis in the brain where, you know, certain parts of the uh, – certain cells in the body need glucose. But if they become um, insulin resistant, you can't get enough glucose in So by bringing down the insulin resistance, they get enough. So I think our bodies are perfectly capable of generating enough glucose. I'm not afraid of gluconeogenesis. You know, if you you make it from keto to carnivore, you kind of lose that fear, right? So so I think what happens is the different parts of the brain are fed the correct fuels when you move to a meat-based diet. And because fat is so satisfying, and of course, you know that like medium chain triglycerides are shunted right to the brain, right? They kind of bypasses the rest of the digestive process and boom, you know, they go to the brain. And I think that, you know, you don't necessarily have to be eating coconut oil or MCT oil to do that. I think that you're getting that out of the animal fat as well. And since, and I think that starts to resolve the fuel crisis in the brain. And then as you know, a lot of people have lower GI problems, um, you you get people with heartburn, which is kind of an upper GI issue, but you have a lot of people lower. Watch how many autistic kids grab their stomach after they eat, or they're just leaning on their stomach, or, and then and then watch autistic adults, and you see a lot of the same thing. They've been suffering with GI issues their whole life, and as you feed them, if you as you get them to try something else, and they start feeling better, it's it's it gets much easier to get them to change, and of course. You know, it varies from person to person. And I know friends with kids who they will steal the teacher's coffee because it's got sh- creamy sugar in it, right? You know, and, it, and when they try and restrict, restrict them, that, that that's what happens because they're not at home all day, right? They, they go to school or classes or, or therapy or whatever, and then it's very hard, you know, and it's like, are they learning? Because they're craving carbs, you know, they're running around like mad people trying to steal somebody's lunch or whatever, you know. So it's it's difficult, probably a little more difficult with with kids and even adults, you know, because you're right, meltdowns meltdowns are a thing. <laughs> <So>.
0: Yeah, <laughs> even with adults, yes, I agree. <laughs> so I'm sure you've seen your fair share of success stories in your Facebook group. I'm just wondering if you want to share a few of those and maybe some of the most common ones. But if you have any obscure ones that are surprising to even you uh, feel free to share those as well because that could be quite interesting
1: wow i wish i had a whopper for you but i'd I'd circle back to like your intro was like perfect because um i really do try and um describe it as just an improved quality of life right so um you when you see that people are, you know, more a lot of autistic people don't engage very well for a number of reasons, you know, um, and when you see them able to engage more and uh, you see them in less distress and their anxiety levels are coming down. I mean, imagine it's like to live with, you know, t- intestinal pain every day and then all of a sudden it starts getting better. Right. So you just have more faculties to devote to other things. Right. And, you know, I have anxiety come down and to, you know, just, I mean, in my case, it was joint pain. I'm sure a lot of people have joint pain or or just see a few pounds come off instead of them slowly increasing, you know, like you're slowly walking towards all sorts of issues, you know, when you're when your weight increases. Right. It's, it's you know, everything from just trying to find something to wear to. Uh, trying to, trying to get out of bed, you know, becomes an issue. And of course, the more adipose or fat tissue you have, the more, more hormone dysregulation we see and, mm-hmm. and on and on and on. So it's just when, when you start to reverse that for somebody, um, you know, you really are improving the quality of life when they're, they don't get the brain fog, when they have fewer meltdowns. And frequently, you know, of course, we see all the time people need less medication, right? Particularly if they're fighting, type 2 diabetes, you know, they don't need, you know, some of those some of those medications help insulin work harder and some of them actually block the absorption of sugar, right? Prevent, And both of those have consequences, right? And and they have costs, they have side effects and everything else. So when people uh, you know, the doctor goes, oh, your blood sugar's getting better, you know, then they're taking fewer medications, they're having fewer side effects, right? Right? So, and, and people tend to be get eventually become more energized, like they want to do things, you know, they want to engage people, they want to, they want to do activities. And so for me, that's all quality of life, right?
0: Absolutely. And that goes from, for better, lack of a better word, normal people as well that aren't, that don't have autism. I see it all the time.
1: Right. <laughs> Yeah, so it's kind of like you—you're already disabled, and then you're piling on all these health issues and, mm. and discomfort, right?
0: Yeah, absolutely. So, if someone wants to try this diet, how do you recommend that they go about switching? Do you think they should go cold turkey, or maybe go slowly? What, what would you recommend?
1: Uh, see, that's that's a perfect question because I—it depends on the person. Because we all know some people. They want to jump in head first. And some people, cause they're like, Oh no, it's all or nothing, you know. And if it's an all or nothing person, then I'm saying, like, yeah, here's what you can just start eating tomorrow. And you know, I try and meet people where they are when it comes to coaching. If you start eating a, a high fat or an animal, you know, a meat based diet, you're probably going to be eating more animal fat than you're used to and you're probably not going to absorb it right away. So. That can cause a little diarrhea or whatever, you know, a little nausea. So if, if, if people are up to it, I say, hey, you know what? Today, just eat one meal, that's all meat, and see what happens. And then if that goes well, tomorrow, try three, you know. See how you feel. And a lot of times, if people are willing to try that, they're like, man, I feel better already. What is that, you know? And I'm like, we'll do it for a week and see what happens. And that, and that's easy, If people are getting GI issues, a lot of people jump in and they're eating ribeyes. A lot of people thrive on ribeye. For me, that was too much fat. So I eat leaner cuts of meat, um, probably because I do a lot of weightlifting and I'm I'm a big guy. So I got a lot of muscle, expensive muscle that I'm trying to maintain and grow, you know. So finding that kind of fat to protein ratio that fits you is good. And in the beginning, you know, it could be tough. Your, Your metabolic machinery is not not necessarily geared for that much fat. So you want to give a little time to adapt if you're having some sort of GI issue or whatever and try and find those those meat-based foods that you enjoy. So I like a good New York strip, and I like brunschweiger. You got brunschweiger over there in New Zealand?
0: Don't recognize that. Probably have something like that, but I'm not there. I couldn't say.
1: <laughs> kind of like it's pate, but it's usually... It could be beef, but it oftentimes it's pork and pork liver and right. pork fat that's seasoned.
0: Okay, doesn't ring a bell.
1: <laughs> it sounds good. That's that's you know kind of my go to. You know, I love that. My dog loves that. Everybody loves bacon. So I tell people start with the easy foods and then kind of see like you know leaner or or fattier. You know, how do you do better? You know, and and I encourage people like to adjust when because I I do believe like through the epigenetic processes we adjust, you know, and it's like almost every cell in your body has a different lifespan, right? So if you've been generating cells in your body and you've been eating a crap diet and all of a sudden you're on a better diet, as those cells get replaced, different processes in your body are going to have different levels of efficiency, right? And when they studied ketogenic, uh, I think it was cyclos, so it's like even a year after they were considered fat adapted, they're seeing these that uh there's these uh genetic adaptations going on you know even even a year or two years later so I think we do tend to get just get more efficient you know in the beginning you might be healing stuff, people seem to need a little more fat, but they have to adapt to it in the beginning, and then they need it for a while and then they need a little less, and it depends i I'm a big guy, I lift weights, and that's not most people you know. So if you're a marathon runner, you're going to have a different strategy. If you're a couch potato, you're going to have a different strategy. Okay.
0: Yeah, absolutely. So is there anything else that you want to share with the listeners that you think is important for them to know?
1: Well, I just I think that, you know, for me, the my foundation in, in, in not thinking and in, in believing that this really is a good diet, you know, I'm, I'm full-time carnivore, just eat meat. I look at the historical record, and I look at the the archaeology and the biology, and we know that we've been eating animals, butchering animals for at least 3.7 million years. That's a long time. That's where the archaeological evidence states it quite profoundly that our our ancestors, the prehumans, were doing this, and. We kind of all grew up thinking there's all these plants out there that we were eating. But then I asked people, you know, before 10,000 years ago, what what plants were we eating? And they never know because there were very, there was very, very few plants that weren't really toxic to us. So then when you realize that most plants are toxic to human beings and all the stuff in our grocery stores was crossbred to be less toxic, to be more palatable, then you realize it's not so far fetched for us to have been eating meat we were literally falling around mega funnel like like mammoths and and eating them because that was that was how we evolved we evolved to eat meat so for me that was kind of like the thing and then it's just not much of a stretch to say once we eat the the diet that we evolved to eat we feel a lot better right so that kind of takes a little bit of the mystery out of it so and i encourage people. I have, time I was sending out data to people um and showing them, look, here's the archaeological evidence, here's the nitrogen isotopes from the Planck Institute and, and on and on and on. So I think that, you know, by helping people understand that there's historical context that's backed up by hard science, then it doesn't seem so woo woo, so far fetched, you know. So go ahead and try it. You're not gonna fall over dead. So we, I'm sure you know plenty of people that you've met, plenty of carnivores have been eating for more than 10 years now and they're very healthy. I don't know if you have, but I assume you have because you're, you know, (laughs) so, but yeah, there's plenty of people out there. I've interviewed several on my channel, so, anyway, including doctors. If you need a doctor's approval, just just call Sean or Lisa, Sean Baker. Lisa Wiederman and a number of others, Dr. Yoga Nathan, Dr. Uh, Paul Mason, you know, like, yeah, eat that meat. It's good for you.
0: Yep. Awesome. Thank you. If someone wants to get your help or get in touch with you, find a Facebook group, et cetera, where's the best place that they can contact you?
1: Well, specifically for, uh, I I have the group Autistic Carnivores on, on Facebook. So join us there, whether you're autistic yourself or your family member or your clinician or uh we work in a school with autistic people we we accept all of them and then um uh if you need coaching or something you can just you can email me at tomclark18@gmail at uh i i'm i have another full-time job so i i typically kind of restrict my uh, my coaching to to people that are autistic or people i know you know they're kind of right in my wheelhouse because I don't I don't do coaching full time because I don't have time. But uh, yeah, so catch me there. I'm on Instagram, Thomas Allen Clark, so I'm easy to find. So Instagram, Facebook, email, whatever, and of course YouTube. Meet Mosaic, yeah.
0: Brilliant. Yes.
1: Meet Mosaic. Lots of videos.
0: Absolutely. Thank you so much for coming on.
1: Oh, thank you for having me. It was a great time.
0: You're welcome. Thanks for listening to the El Cal podcast. If you like the show and you want to support the show, you can do so by sharing it with anyone who you think may benefit from listening to it. Or if you're so inclined, you can make a donation over at PayPal or at Patreon, and you will find the links in the description. Have an awesome day.